You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's podcast on the world of mergers and acquisitions. I'm your host, Alex Sherman, joining you from sunny Los Angeles today. A treat for me, even if it's just a week. But it was a cold, gray week for healthcare insurers Aetna and Humana. Their $37 billion deal was blocked by a federal judge. Joining us now in New York is Bloomberg M&A reporter and my colleague, Ed Hammond. Welcome back to the show, Ed. Nice to be here, Alex. Thanks for joining us. So for those not familiar with these companies, Ed, uh, what are Aetna and Humana and why did they want to merge in the first place? They are health insurance companies. So for every one of us that has health insurance, particularly if we have it through um, through corporations like we do working at Bloomberg, um, you have these providers. And Aetna and Humana, I think, are the number two and number four provider, respectively, in terms of this is not in terms of their sort of market cap, but actually in terms of the, the number of subscribers um, they have on their books. Uh, the reason they want to merge is interesting. There was speculation for years that you would see this sudden wave of consolidation in the healthcare industry. And it was exactly what happened. So last year, you saw Cigna and Anthem um, come together, and, 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 you saw, and they're they're two big ones as well, right? Top. They're two big ones, so they're all they are all within the top five. So United Health is the biggest. That was the only company that kind of you know was notable from this merger wave by its absence, and kind of had to be out of it because actually it's just too big, and it would have been too difficult for it to to get a deal past any regulators. But you saw um, Aetna and Humana try and do this merger, and at the same time, and when I say at the same time, I think it was literally like two days apart that the thing got announced. You saw Cigna and Anthem try and do their merger. So you had these two very, very big mergers trying to come together at the same time. And one of the difficulties was always that they were going to get looked at in concert. It was impossible for any regulator to say, well, hold on, we can look at this deal in isolation because the backdrop was always that you had an industry that was sort of fast consolidating. So why exactly was the deal blocked? The deal was blocked at least... Thus far, what they've said publicly is that they thought it would be anti-competitive and they thought ultimately it would be damaging for the consumer to put two um, insurance providers of this scale together just in terms of the, the size of the network it would give them. And I think the exact language is that it would substantially lessen competition uh, in the sale of the Medicare Advantage plans, which they have collectively would have in a lot of places. I think there would be in something like 360 counties in 21 of the states. Right, I see. So it's a... Uh... Uh, specifically, we're talking about private health plans for the elderly, sort of the Medicare Advantage sector. Was that sort of the key component to this? 
that was the key component as far as the judgment against the deal was concerned. But there were, to be clear on this, there were always worries going way back that there was just there was too much overlap in the Medicare. But there were also some some issues elsewhere with this deal. I, I think Signa Anthem, which obviously has not been um, publicly fallen apart yet, but I think behind the scenes people are not holding great store that that will happen. Actually, that's reflected in the spread of the deal. It's got a sort of $35 spread on it at the moment. That faces even more issues because you have even more overlap and you have even more, um, I suppose, coalescence between the two companies already in terms of what they do. What do you think happens there, Ed? In other words, with this deal blocked, will those two companies just say, forget it, or are they going to keep, are they going to proceed and, and, and wait until a, a judge rules on that deal as well? The, the short answer is they have to really wait until the judge rules. They have said that they're going to do this merger and therefore legally they are obligated to their shareholders to do everything they can in their powers to get this merger done. That said, the narrative on the Signa Anthem deal has been sort of horrific from the beginning. So these are two companies that they kind of had to do their deal because the other deal was going on and it was sort of if they didn't, then they would be left behind and the chance to go. But they publicly from the beginning didn't like each other. The managements didn't like each other. There was this huge kind of you know, set to over who was going to run the combined company. There was a lot of ego in there. They then sort of said, we can't do this. We can't work together. Then they said, we will do this. And they put out this kind of joint website that was kind of a bit sickening, really, because it was just so like over the top, like lovey, lovey, and how great we are and how brilliant <laughs> this combined company is, better together, all of that. And they sort of since, I think there has been kind of dual narratives. The public one has very much been, you know, we're going to get this done. It makes sense, etc. And I think privately, both companies are kind of like, we would quite like it if this didn't happen because it's been slightly abortive from the beginning. So maybe a relief in the end that that deal doesn't happen for them or that this deal was blocked. That, that by the way, your analogy reminded me of on whenever I see on Facebook, if like one person in a couple is really over the top sort of romantic and lovey-dovey i always worry for that relationship because i'm like why are you telling the public this couldn't you just be saying this privately to your uh you know significant other so maybe maybe there is something to being uh, uh too outwardly showy about a relationship that sort of is a uh, a sign for warning i would agree with that i think uh one of the issues on 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 this is that there were so many people involved you know there are there are a lot of advisors on on all sides, and I think therefore you have, you know, there's just a lot of narratives out there, and the companies have, you know, I think they, because they made it so clear so early on that they didn't like each other, it's been very difficult for them ever really to get beyond that in terms of the way the deal has been covered. And as I say, the spread on the Signa Anthem deal has always been very wide, and actually has always been much much wider than the Humana deal because it was always thought, look, both of these deals kind of are going to face issues because it's an industry that's already highly consolidated. You have two very big deals trying to go through simultaneously. But the view was always that if one was going to get done, it would be the Signa, it would be the Aetna Humana deal because Signa Anthem, as well as having more overlap, had these kind of huge and in some people's mind, unsurmountable or insurmountable social issues from the beginning. So in the end, would you classify Aetna Humana being blocked as a surprise? I think it is to some extent a surprise. I think there was... Um, there was a view that this deal, if it had been done in isolation, as in if it had not been going on at the same time as Signa Anthem, there was a view that it would have been done because actually the overlaps were material, but um, something that could be overcome. There were the vestiges that could be done that would have actually got around this. There was obviously a willing universe of buyers in terms of both the big health insurers, but also you know there were a lot of smaller players in the space. And I think 
the companies were quite confident this would get done certainly their lawyers were and you know the sources that we've been speaking to on this for a long time have said they thought this one had a good shot of going through um and and i think it is a bit of a surprise it's a, you know that was i think reflected in the shares today which obviously traded heavily heavily down on the uh, on the news so is this a done deal now because there, there is some speculation that etna may appeal this decision what exactly does that mean yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, look, the language in these things is nearly always that we're going to explore all options in terms of whether or not we can appeal. Can we stage some kind of workaround on this? Um, and I think they, whether or not legally they have to do that, I'm not sure. But I, I certainly think it's it's something that having worked on this for a long time, I mean, bear in mind, these deals were announced, you know, 18 months, almost two years ago, that there is pressure on them to try and ensure that sort of every avenue is exhausted before they abandon the deal altogether. But I think in reality, this probably is now uh, something we can put on the dead deals pile because, you know, once you're blocked um, at that level, it's very difficult to then persuade the regulators as to the merits of doing a deal. And particularly with the administration that we now have, I think this is going to be very unlikely. Obviously, healthcare um, is an area where uh, Trump, at least, you know, in his rhetoric, if not yet in his actions, um, has said he wants to see deregulation. He wants to drive down prices through more competition in the Medicare Advantage space. So it's going to be, it's going to be difficult for them to convince him or anyone that this is a deal that should be done under so, this. So, so just so I'm clear about how the regulatory structure works, is this a statement about how the Trump administration may view deals like this, or is this a carryover from Obama administration regulators? It's the latter. This uh, look, it would be great if we could say that this falling apart was a direct result of Trump and the, you know, the sort of the changing wind around that. But it's not. This is something that's been going on a very long time. This has been in front of the judges for ages. It's got to be one of the deals that's been in front of the judges for sort of longest right now. Um, so it's really it's a consequence of that. How it would have fared under a, a Trump regime if it was being announced today, the deal. I it's it's harder to say, but as as I pointed out, I think he is he's keen to see more competition. He's obviously keen to drive down prices um, and make the kind of Medicare space, which is after all where the judge has said there's too much overlap here, make that space more competitive. So it'd be hard to envisage an environment where this deal would go through under Trump. Is there a, a relationship to these deals getting blocked and Obamacare and or Obamacare's future? Was that sort of a part of why these deals were scrutinized because it might lessen competition within and you know an Obamacare plan as currently laid out, or or in in sort of a new revised Obamacare. Now I have to be very careful here because last time I talked about the um, sort of labyrinthine U.S. healthcare system on radio, I got some facts wrong, so I need to be very careful. I I I think the Obamacare issue does come into it, and there was there were elements of that that people were concerned about in terms of the overlap and whether or not it would be problematic for the people who are subscribing to Obamacare. But it's it, it's unclear to me. I don't know the sort of minutiae of the deal because after all, these companies, they don't operate on a sort of national basis. They don't even operate on a state basis. They operate in this sort of individual counties. So each county has to be looked at as a kind of, you know, as a unique marketplace where they compete with, you know, some of the other big guys, but also local players and then sometimes even hyper-local players that will only serve an individual county. So it's it's a very, very complex antitrust analysis. Right. I believe there were certain states that were being looked at in this case, but it may have even been at the county level sort of, you know, within those states in terms of, uh, you know, these various different healthcare plans being on uh, an Obamacare exchange. I'm looking this up 
as we speak right now to see the, the... right there were three um i think there were obamacare exchanges in three counties in florida that were kind of at issue um but the point on this and this was the same in the signal anthem deal is that the the way that these things are looked at as i say is not on a national or even state basis it's on a kind of it's on a county by county basis which makes it it a makes the antitrust analysis very complicated but it also makes any divestiture proposals hideously complicated because instead of having one or two or three buyers you end up with a kind of you know whole plethora of potential buyers out there and how do you run that as a process how do you convince the regulators look we have you know a distinct buyer for these assets should we need to get out gotcha of it? so here, here it is here so the, the the government's case focused on lost competition on the insurance exchanges set up under obamacare in 17 counties in three states florida georgia and missouri and so after being sued etna withdrew from these exchanges uh to sort of avoid theoretical scrutiny but now that the deal is going to be blocked you know the judge said Aetna is likely to return to the Florida market and that the merger would reduce competition there so uh so yeah it does seem to be at least a part of it although as you've stated Ed earlier it seems like the the Medicare Advantage uh issue was sort of the bigger issue here so 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 what does this mean for the future of all four of these companies let's assume that Anthem Cigna also doesn't happen. Are there other deals to be done in the sector or are they forced to stay and operate independently for a while? I think the, there are no other huge deals to be done in the sector. I think we can safely say that the potential um, M&A, if you can call it M&A transaction that we may see in the next sort of 18 months, two years is some sort of split of United Healthcare that has been talked about. I have no inside knowledge on that at all, but that's something that's been mooted as a possible move down the road. They're obviously a very, very big company now, by far the biggest in the space, I think more than twice the size in market cap of the next biggest. Um, and they have two very distinct businesses. So there's some idea that they could separate into two companies. I think in terms of mega mergers between the healthcare providers, no, it's we're sort of done there. That's played out. You, you may see some stuff further down the scale, but this is an industry where once you get past kind of the top five, it drops off very, very sharply in terms of scale. So, you you know, you're not talking about 20, 30, 40 billion dollar deals. You're talking about probably sub 10 or even sub one billion dollar deals. What else is outstanding for the Trump administration to decide on in deal land? So there were these two outstanding healthcare deals. Then, of course, there's AT&T Time Warner, uh, which the Trump administration will have to well, he's already decided on it, right? Well, Didn't right. he say? He said, you know, under no circumstances will that deal go through. Right, exactly. right. So, I know, as with everything with Donald Trump, I think you need to take that with a grain of salt. Yeah, um, also, shoot first, also ask questions later. For sure. And a president doesn't actually get to decide the answer to these questions. They may only have input uh, in yes. terms of whether or not a deal is blocked. It is a legal issue. Um, but, of course, there is certainly politics involved. Uh, you don't have to go much further than... Uh, Comcast, Time Warner Cable to sort of come to an instance where there was obvious politics involved in, in that deal uh, not happening. So then there's also there's the Bayer Monsanto yep. combination, right? That very controversial, very big, important deal, sort of strategically important for the US, strategically important for Germany. Um, obviously, again, and not dissimilar to the to the insurance deals, it comes at a time when in the um, ag chemical space, you have this huge wave of consolidation where ChemChina, Syngenta are getting together, uh, Dow and DuPont are getting together, which obviously have ag chem as a significant part of their overall businesses, and then Bayer Monsanto. So it's, it's again one of these ones which is slightly complex from a regulatory point of view because you cannot look at it in isolation. You have to look at it in terms of a sort of broadly consolidating industry. And, and, and which is a really good point to make, because theoretically, these deals are supposed to be looked at on an individual basis, but 
no rational human being can do that because one deal significantly changes the landscape for the next deal. So anyone would have to look at these deals to some degree in conjunction, which is often why you see similar deals stacked up so closely. It is it is done strategically yeah. so that uh, when regulators look at one, they are forced to look at many. In some cases, I think deals can be done um, in a way to put pressure on regulators to block a deal. In other words, what comes to mind immediately was uh, after Comcast bought Time Warner Cable, uh, AT&T went out and bought DirecTV and basically said, well, look, if you if you uh, accept that one, you have to accept ours because it presents fewer uh, issues at that point. Um, and of course, their deal ended up getting done and the Comcast Time Warner Cable deal ended up getting blocked. Uh, yeah. You know, advantage AT&T, I suppose, if you sort of believe in that you know, consolidating uh, distribution of, of media sector. I think that's absolutely right. And look, there's, there's also this issue on this where if in, if we take the health insurers, for example, if Aetna Humana announced their deal and Signal Anthem don't do anything, if in two years they decide we want to do a merger, it's too late because at that point, you know, you've seen five go to four and then you're going to say, well, hold on, four are going to go to three and the regulators are going to say, uh-uh, I don't think so. So you have to take this view that we're going to try and push it all through at once, which obviously, ultimately can imperil all the deals that are trying to go through. Bloomberg M&A reporter and my colleague Ed Hammond talking about the collapse of Aetna Humana. And as he said, probably just throw this one in the dead deal pile. Uh, Ed, thanks as always for joining us. Pleasure. That's it for this week's episode of Deal of the Week. As always, catch us on iTunes or Bloomberg.com or on the Bloomberg Terminal. Plus, follow me on Twitter at Sherman4949. Ed, where can people find you on Twitter? They can find me at Ed Hammond NY. And remember to please rate and review the show while you're listening to the podcast on iTunes or whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. And if you have any suggestions for guests or future topics for the podcast, email me at asherman6 at Bloomberg.net. See you next week. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CutterEconomicForum.com.